Tonight, Joseph is falsely accused of adultery with Potiphar's wife. That's right, his slave master's wife. And considering that Potiphar was a pretty powerful man in Egypt, Joseph was sentenced to jail. Now, that's interesting because the normal punishment for adultery in Egypt was the death penalty. So, when Potiphar gives Joseph a lesser sentence, this means that he might actually believe that Joseph was innocent. It's also interesting because in ancient times, prisons really weren't used that often for crimes like we have today. If you look in the Hebrew laws, you will see that the punishment for violating the laws include death penalty, fines, and sacrifices, but you really don't see prison anywhere. Egypt was one of the few ancient civilizations to actually have a prison like we think of today. Fortunately, we have an Egyptian papyrus that tells us about the main prison, which was in Thebes, which is modern-day Luxor, and about 500 miles south of Cairo. Joseph probably stayed in this prison because, well, high-up officials were placed there too. In the prison, there were cells, kind of like what we think of, but there were also large rooms that held large groups of people. Some of the prisoners were imprisoned for betrayal of the king, which was actually pretty common in Egypt. During the investigation, all parties were held in prison until things were just kind of sorted out. Ideally, whoever was innocent was exonerated and the guilty were punished. And that's actually exactly what happens to Joseph whenever he meets a cupbearer and a baker. The cupbearer was restored to his position while the baker was punished. Finally, it should be noted that the prison had a warden with the staff. Now, Joseph was actually promoted to be a scribe to keep records since he was literate. He probably used a pen just like this one. So, there you go. A little bit about Egyptian prisons, and that's enough today for our historical minute. And with that, let us begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, indeed, we thank you for bringing us together here on this uh, beautiful spring March evening where we can gather to worship you, to uh, proclaim your forgiveness through the sacrament, but as well to really dive into your word, especially as we talk about this amazing story of Joseph and, and all that he went through and how you were with him the entire time. And so, Lord, we pray that tonight we can really uh, just learn a lot and we can really apply a lot to our lives. And all this we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, if you're with us, turn to Genesis 39. That's where we're going to start off uh, this evening in Genesis 39, if you have a Bible. Uh, if you don't, that's okay. We'll have it on the screen. And as well, as always, we have the ability where you can uh, text in questions. And I have an iPad up here. And um, if I look down enough and notice it, then I'll address the question. So there you go. But you know, uh, so Genesis 39, as you guys are flipping to the, the pages um, it really kind of goes back to the story of Joseph. See, last week uh, they kind of took a little uh, time out, if you will, and, and went through two stories that were um, both pretty explicit, pretty, pretty uh, R or X-rated. And I just got to tell you how appreciative I am that Pastor Mike got to teach on it rather than me, all right? But, you know, they're, it's one of the more... Um, disturbing books in the Bible, but it really shows the consequence and the destruction of sin. And Pastor Mike, as always, did such a great job um, talking about that last week. And so if you weren't here, I encourage you to go online, listen to it. But
But um, they took a little time out in Genesis 38 to address these two stories. But in Genesis 39, we come back to the story of Joseph. You guys remember Joseph. He, um, he had 11 brothers, all who hated him, apparently, because they all got together because he was like the favorite child. And, and they threw him in this pit because they were, um, were going to kill him. And then they decided, well, actually, what profit is it to kill him whenever there's these uh, Midianite Ishmael uh, traders coming by? And so we can just sell him. We can actually make a buck off of him. And, and so they sell him into slavery. And then he uh, ends up in Egypt. And he ends up uh, at this guy's house. Uh, his name is uh, Potiphar. And he's going to be an official of Pharaoh. And uh, the, one of the last verses in the book of Genesis kind of sum the story up. And it says, when Joseph is talking to his brothers, he says, whatever you have intended was for harm. So like, you know, they threw him in the pit and they wanted to kill him or they wanted to sell him into slavery. They intended very much to harm Joseph. Uh, But then he says this, but God has intended it for good. And I want you to see that even whenever Joseph goes through like the darkest and most difficult times out of anybody here, he still has God with him. And you're going to see how much God provides even in the darkest and most difficult situations. So, With all of that, let's get right into Genesis 39, verse 1. It says this. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, all right, the captain of the guard in Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. See, I told you, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Wow, how cool is that? To go from uh, being uh, sold into slavery And look what God is doing here. Uh, God is with him. God is providing success. So so clearly what we get with Joseph here is that he's someone who's responsible. He's trustworthy. He's hardworking. uh, He's loyal. He's he's all of those characteristics. And and really it's, it's because Potiphar sees that the Lord is with him. And that's what gives him the success. And that's what gives Potiphar the, um, the desire to promote Joseph is that he recognizes that the Lord is with him. Now, it is kind of interesting because, after all, we are talking about ancient Egypt. Uh, next week, I'm going to do a whole historical minute on exactly kind of where they were on the time frame of this. But we're talking like Middle Kingdom here. And, and so we're talking about, uh, you know, ancient Egypt with the pyramids and, and they're worshiping the sun god, Ra. You know, I mean, um, and there's many gods. There's the moon god, the harvest god, right? Uh, the god of the ocean, the god of the Nile, all this kind of stuff. And, and so for uh, Potiphar, he's, he's recognizing that, that it's the Lord who is, um, who is, 
is um, with Joseph and is helping him succeed. In fact, if you look at the word Lord here, okay, so that's not on there, but maybe if we put back verse 3. Okay, there we go. So his master saw that the Lord was with him. The word for Hebrew in there is, is Yahweh. So it's not just an ambiguous God, but it is the Lord God. It is the one true living God. And in fact, if you have a Bible, uh, a lot of times you'll notice that whenever Yahweh is translated as Lord, that they put it in all caps and then it's like smaller, <laughs> all right? Have you ever noticed that in the Bible? Well, if you have a Bible, look, like in verse three, you see it's like all caps and kind of smaller. And, and the translators are doing that, uh, and that's the name of God, that is Yahweh, okay? Uh, whenever uh, he reveals himself to Moses, he says, I am who I am, and that's Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh here. And, and so, um, so it's interesting that Potiphar being an Egyptian who, you know, worships all these other gods and everything, um, recognizing the, the power of the Lord and recognizing the presence of the Lord with this Hebrew slave with uh, Joseph. Uh, now, probably at this point, um, it's, it's probably not likely that, uh, you know, he worshiped Yahweh or gave up his idols or something to that effect. But he's almost kind of like someone who worships many gods. He's just kind of recognizing, oh, here's a God. He's kind of recognizing it almost at that point. But he very much recognizes the power of God and the provision that God has with Joseph. And so um, verse 5 will continue. It says, from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. <laughs> find that kind of interesting. You know, I'll give you, put you in charge of anything, but don't touch my food. <laughs> Someone's serious about their food around here. It, would, it was customary back then, um, you know, uh, but, you know, back then what they did was they often had uh, separated dining. So, you know, this class would dine here. And so Joseph, uh, even though that he was put in this kind of promotion, he was kind of put in this high regard, this high esteem, was still not one of them. And so he was often, uh, it was likely that he was separated uh, during mealtimes. You know, that just was customary back then. Uh, but also it could have been something else related to how you can poison food and things like that. Um, but, but at this point, it was probably just cultural, just, um, you know, just being separate in that regard. And so, again, just look at how uh, God is blessing not only Joseph, but how he's blessing Potiphar and, and Potiphar's household. I mean, just how, how, how cool is that, that, that God is, is providing here? God is with him uh, to the point where he's in charge of everything except for the food. Um, and then it says this, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. All right. So here is temptation knocking at Joseph's door where we have uh, Potiphar's wife is, is now coming on to him. He's she, she's making an advance here. And, and for Joseph, he's got all the temptation in the world here. 
where um, especially uh, Potiphar's wife was someone who was very powerful. And, um, and, and so, so she has that kind of authority over Joseph, even though he's kind of promoted as such. But he still has this, uh, she still has this authority kind of weighing over him. And so, so look what he does here. Unlike whatever happened in Genesis 38, okay, which is where we see sin just go wild in, in the destruction of it. Uh, he actually does what is right. He actually does what is wise here. Um, and he says this in verse 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my servant has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do the great wickedness and sin against God? So what Joseph is pointing out here, he's pointing out, hey, hey, no, 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 no. This cannot happen, okay? For so many reasons. Uh, For one, you know, talk about how there's the betrayal of, of, his, uh, of his master, all right? And probably someone he looked up to and respected a little bit. Uh, he's got this loyalty being his servant. Um, and, and, and so really, you know, that's, that's part of the problem with adultery is that there's just so much betrayal all around. Boundaries are crossed that should never be crossed. Whenever you go and you marry someone, you're literally making promises to each other, and to God, that you will not cross these boundaries, okay? And, and for Joseph, so he recognizes this. And it's kind of interesting as well, because um, earlier it states that he's in charge of everything um, except for the food. And, and so the food's kind of off limits. But now he's also kind of putting uh, Potiphar's wife in the same category, saying, no, 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 but you, you're off limits. So he's recognizing the boundary that he does not want to betray his master. And good for him. But as well, notice what he says. He says, and how can I do great wickedness and sin against who? Sin against God. And so he's full recognizing that this sin is not only a betrayal of his master, but as well, it's against God. And so he recognizes that. And then in verse 10, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Day after day. So this wasn't just an isolated incident. This wasn't just kind of a one-time thing. No, no, she had it in her mind that she wanted him. And so he had temptation knocking on his door day after day after day. And I got to tell you that, you know, kudos to him because look what it says. It says that, that he would not listen to her. And, and look even, look at the, the words here. He would not even lie beside her. So, so that's different, apparently, than to be with her. So, so it's kind of this idea of, of, you know, well, let's just lie next to each other and just kind of see what happens, you know. And, and for him, he's thinking, well, I guess it's not that big of a deal. No, no, he says it's a big deal, that he's not willing to lie beside her, and he's definitely not willing to be with her. None of it, none of it, none of it. He has nothing to do with it. He is refusing temptation day after day. And then in verse 11, but one day, 
when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house. All right, so let's pause here for a second. So, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, conveniently, all of the men in the house were gone. Conveniently. As if she totally didn't set that one up, all right? Verse 12, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got outside or got out of the house. So now she, first she's kind of the seductor, right? She's the one who's just going to seduce you, tempt you, kind of like the, the sirens, you know, in the Odyssey. They're just trying to lure you a little bit. But she goes from being a, someone who's seductive to someone who's aggressive, right? To the point where she goes up to him and she grabs his garment. She grabs his, his cloak, his, his clothing, his, his robe, and, and yanks it off of him. I mean, she is incredibly, apparently strong and incredibly aggressive, all right? And here she is. She, she grabs it from him. But notice what he does here in this moment. I, I mean, I'm almost amazed at what he does. He is so unwilling to do this. He is so willing to stand up for what's right. Um, and, and probably a little freaked out as well that she's just that aggressive and that strong. But you know what? He runs for the hills. Look at that. He runs out of the house. Not just he runs out of the house, but what's he missing? His clothes. <laughs> yeah. Um, he probably had something on, okay, but for sure his outer garments were torn off. And so here he is, he's, he's willing to run down the street in front of all the neighbors, all right, half naked, just to get out of that house. He, he, is, he is willing uh, to resist temptation to the point where he doesn't think twice about it. He doesn't say, well, geez, you know, maybe it's not going to be that bad if we do this thing, and maybe it, we could do that thing and it won't be that bad. You know, maybe I'll listen to her a little bit. Let's, I'm open to her ideas or her suggestions. No, none of that. He just absolutely books it. He just runs. He flees. He flees for the hells here. And I got to say that, guys, if there is any story in the Bible that I absolutely love whenever it talks about temptation and how we can avoid temptation. This is it right here. I always turn to Genesis 39 because, uh, see, whenever we get into trouble, whenever we think to ourselves, well, maybe I'll just do it a little bit and, and see if anyone notices. Or, you know, I can go back to my old ways, you know, just one foot in, one foot out. And, you know, I'll probably be strong enough in the moment to resist temptation. Yeah, right, are you kidding me? Absolutely not. What Joseph does here is what we're supposed to do. He doesn't think twice about it. He doesn't um, contemplate it. He just runs. And whenever he runs, he's even willing to run in his underwear down the street, okay? That's how willing he is to resist temptation. And that's how hard he is to work at temptation. And, and so, so guys, you know, if you have any sort of temptation like this in your life, Flee from it. Don't, don't sit and don't dwell. Don't put yourself one foot in, one foot out. Flee. Flee from temptation. 
But then it says this in verse 13. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called the men of her household and said to them, okay, so now she's going to bring back all the men of the house when they come back. She's going to have story time, so she brings them all together. And here's what she tells them. See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. All right, so here she is. She's, um, she's angry, okay? She, she's so mad that Joseph has fled, now she wants to get revenge. She's probably embarrassed. She, she's probably feeling so many mixed emotions right now that the one thing she wants more than anything is revenge. She wants to make Joseph pay for this. And so what does she do? She, she creates this story that's completely fabricated. If you look at the events versus her testimony versus her side of the story, you're going to notice so many huge huge differences, but even a few smaller ones. So let's, let's point those out. So, so obviously, you know, he's not the one that made the advance. Obviously, she was. But, but even look at, um, look at the order here. So for him or for her, she says, he came into me to lie with me, and I cried out. So it's this idea that he's assaulting her, he's advancing on her, and then she makes this cry, right? But then it says this, as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me. Where was the garment? It wasn't beside her. The garment was in her hand. See the difference? If, if the garment was beside her, then that's him undressing himself. But whenever the garment is in her hand, it's her pulling it off of him. And so here she is. So she's making up this story. She, she's giving this, this accusation. Uh, to destroy him. And then it says this in verse 16, then she laid up his garment by her. So again, proof that it wasn't in her hand. It was just next to her. Until her master came home and she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. So now we have Potiphar, he comes home, and this is what she tells him. Okay, so let's uh, take a quick pause here because we have a question. And it says this, could she have potentially lied because she was worried she would get caught trying to seduce him since, since she had his garments with her? Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's very fair. Um, I think that... Um, you know, Joseph, so she had made advances on Joseph earlier, and Joseph did not report that to Potiphar, or at least, you know, it doesn't say that he did um, anywhere. And so, so, you know, by him fleeing, you know, my guess is he probably would not have gone to Potiphar over this particular case. But you are right, uh, whoever it is that texted that in, is that we have, um, we have evidence now of, uh, hey, what are you doing with with Joseph's garment. Hmm, 
That's kind of weird. And, and so for her, she's going to twist the story around uh, to make it so that way she's safe and that he's the villain. So yeah, I, th- I think that's very fair. And as well, um, you know, this, this whole section right here really shows as well how damaging an accusation is. I mean, we have a culture right now where um, people are just left and right throwing out accusations. And, and for some people, they just don't realize um, how serious an accusation is and how damaging an accusation can be on not only someone's uh, career, but their family, their life. You can, just, you can ultimately destroy a person just by raising your hand and, and saying that and just accusing them of something. Um, we absolutely have a culture that's like that. And so one of the things that we can apply with this is to see how damaging uh, and how wrong false accusations are. Absolutely. Okay, uh, so then in verse 19, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Okay, so uh, he's going to get sentenced to jail here. Um, by him going to jail rather than just being executed uh, indicates that Potiphar might have kind of known, all right? But, you know, I mean, he's kind of in a rock and a hard place, isn't he? Because uh, what is he going to say? Is he going to say that his wife's a liar? Um, and does he, have any, he, doesn't, he doesn't really have any proof either way of this other than just simply an accusation. And, and so uh, for him, he's got to deal with it. And so, but rather than dealing with it in the normal way, he deals with it in the, oh, let's just put him in prison. And I guess actually um, the, the prisons that were around back then were really kind of almost designed for that. Oh, a lot of people were there just kind of as like a holding place um, before things were kind of figured out or sorted out, or they can kind of gather evidence as to what uh, really happened. And, and so a lot of times, you know, we have people who betrayed the kings, and they ended up there, um, and, and so just kind of as a holding place, if you will. But even though it was a holding place, um, you just got to imagine, okay, a prison in ancient Egypt was not exactly the, the Taj Mahal, okay? It was, it was unpleasant for sure. And that's where he ends up. So let's look at Joseph here for just a second. Poor guy. (laughs) I mean, first, his brothers don't like him, so they throw him in a pit. And then they figure they can get some cash out of him, so they sell him into slavery. I mean, as, as if that's not bad enough. And then he ends up in a place where things, even though he's a servant, kind of slave uh, relationship, things are actually going pretty well. Ugh, not anymore. Now he's in this pit. He's, he's once again in this uh, prison um, in Egypt. Uh, and, and for doing the right thing, too. I, I mean, it's one thing, you know, if you get in prison because you, you deserve it. I mean, that's one thing. But man, false imprisonment, whenever you're the one who avoided temptation, you're the one who did the right thing. You stood up when it was hard. He fled. He ran down the street half naked. I mean, he did all of that what was right. And look, he ends up in prison. But check out the next verse. It says this. But, all right, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. 
Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Wow, how cool is that? So it may not be the Taj Mahal, but at least he's like in management <laughs> at the prison. All right? At least he's in management. Uh, he's, he's, he's promoted here. So, so similar to starting off as a slave in a household gets promoted because the Lord is with him and the Lord blesses him. Similarly, he ends up in a bad situation. The Lord promotes him. The Lord blesses him. And, uh, and now he has this relationship with the keeper of the prison, the warden, if you will, uh, the guy who is in charge. And, and they have this relationship that's actually kind of similar to Potiphar and Joseph just a, a few verses prior, where there's this trust, there's this loyalty, and there's this success where God is giving him success. And, and so as well, he, uh, I was reading a commentary that suggested that um, because Joseph was, was literally, they, they kept really good records. And so Joseph was probably um, the one keeping the records here. He was, um, you know, and used a pen kind of like we showed in the, um, in the historical minute there. So here he is, um, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. All right? So now let's go into chapter 40. In verse 1 it says this, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody of the house of the captain of the guard in prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with him, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. So by the captain of the guard placing these two traitors into this Egyptian prison uh, indicates a couple things. One is that, um, that Joseph was probably in that prison that we talked about in Thebes, uh, which is modern-day Luxor, just because that's where a lot of the uh, officials were, were sentenced, so that's probably where Joseph was. But as well, it shows that the captain of the guard has authority um, specifically over this prison. And so he's able to take people who are charged with a crime, and he's able to put them in that prison. Obviously, he did that for, uh, and this, of course, we're talking about is Potiphar. Uh, obviously, he did that with Joseph, uh, but it wasn't just Joseph. He was able to take these two traitors, the cupbearer and the baker, and he's able to take them and put them in prison. Now, you got to imagine, the, so there's uh, the, the cupbearer, and then there's the, the baker, now, if you wanted to betray a king um, by being a cupbearer or by being a baker is a very easy way to betray a king, isn't it? Because after all, a cupbearer, what their job is, their job is to, um, you know, they're, they're kind of like the, the, the right-hand man of, of the king, if you will. They're, they're, they're like a confidant. And, and there's so much loyalty and trust there because the cupbearer would oftentimes would, um, you know, take a sip out of the king's cup or have like a little bite of food uh, to taste it. Uh, and what they're tasting is not just the quality to make sure the chef did it good, you know, but it was instead to see if it was poisoned in some way. 
because that was an easy thing to do back then. You could, uh, you know, prepare a meal in such a way that then would poison the king of Egypt, and then the king of Egypt would die, and then, you know, now you've got their successor. And, and so, um, so for the, the cupbearer and the head baker, something must have gone on. Something must have gone on where, where uh, Pharaoh was betrayed in some way. And so he, he takes these two guys and he, uh, the captain of the guard, Potiphar then, sentences them into the same prison and they're even appointed uh, to be with Joseph, okay? So then in verse five, it says this. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. And so Joseph, uh, who's kind of known for interpreting dreams, is, is giving credit to God, saying, well, only God really has the ability to do this. And then in verse 9, so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, so let's picture this for a second, in my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine were three branches, and as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. All right, so he kind of got a little bit of the, the dream here. Verse 12, then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. All right? So that's the interpretation of the dream, is that he's going to get exonerated. So he was, he was, like Joseph, falsely accused about something, thrown into prison here. Um, but, but look, now there was a, a period of time that passed, but look, uh, from these dreams here, it's from three days from now, you are going to be exonerated. You're going to be restored back to your place. And then Joseph says this in verse 14, only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention to me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the, you see what word is used there? That's how he describes prison is this pit. Now, where did we see this word pit before? It's back in Genesis 37, right? Whenever he's thrown into a pit. So, poor guy, thrown into a pit, and then now he's in a pit, all right? Um, so he's asking the cupbearer, hey, 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 put in a good word for me. You know, here, you know, give him my business card, all right? Put in a good word. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, hey, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, 
And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Interesting dream. All right. Verse 18, and Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. Uh Uh-oh. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. So something's going to come to light that that this guy was guilty of of whatever. He might have been, might not have been, who knows. But, but this is the interpretation of the dream, is that Pharaoh is going to hang this guy, so he's going to get executed for the crime. And then in verse 20, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all the servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. And then it even mentions in verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Ah, so close, so close. So it's amazing that God has the ability here to um, give Joseph the ability to interpret these dreams. And they come to fruition exactly as Joseph said, as God revealed to Joseph. Now, I guess I got to say just one very quick comment on dreams is that uh, we all have dreams. I have weird dreams, okay? (laughs) I don't know what kind of dreams you guys have. Sometimes they're cool, but most of the time they are just bizarre, all right? But, But back then, dreams, clearly as we see here in other places, were a way in which God would communicate things. Um, but, to, but see, back then, they did not have Scripture as we have it in its fulfillment today. And, and so, so ultimately, uh, I know there's a lot of people out there who do dream interpretation, and they're really trying to go into the psychic of what's happening and so forth. Um, but, but really, if we want guidance in our lives, we don't have to go to dreams. We don't have to go to any place like that. We can simply go to the Bible because we have that in its fulfillment today. Uh, the fulfillment of, of Jesus and the cross and everything. And, and so, so for us today as Christians, the guiding principle is not uh, what we dream, but rather it's what uh, Scripture says. I just thought I'd close with that, uh, just because it is 6.30, 6.31, which means that right now we should close in prayer. And Heavenly Father, indeed, we thank you for this gift of Genesis and this final patriarch here, Joseph, who just does so many things right. Man, up against temptation day after day. And he probably could have gotten away with it. Day after day, resisting temptation. And yet, he stood up, he did what was right, he fled from temptation. So God, we pray that whatever temptations that we have in our life, rather than then dwell on them and, and bask in them a little bit, Lord. We pray that we could just flee, that we could just run as Joseph did. And as well, Lord, we recognize that uh, even in the darkest situations, how you were with him, how you were guiding him, how you were protecting and how you were providing. And Lord, those are all the same promises that you give to us today. And so, Lord, we know that whatever times that we may have that are dark and are difficult, 
we know, Lord, that you are there with us, protecting and providing. So we thank you for all that. And all God's people said, amen.